You're listening to P-R-O-X. I still actually, I, I still finger type. Like, I never learned how to type the proper way. No, like, yeah. like no, no, the no, two no, no. finger type? No, he, he, he types with, with like all his fingers. It's, like it's not formal. It's and like, then I naturally adopted it from him. Yeah, I type I thought, like that now. Really? Yes. That's Wait, crazy. I thought you were taking the, the no. typing classes. Man, I threw that out the window and just yeah? started typing how Wait, I felt. let's go. <laughs> You're listening to In Proximity, and this is a very special episode of our show. It's a new kind of episode we're calling Inside Proximity, where colleagues at Proximity Media will sit down with me, Paul Amardo, head of audio here, and we'll talk a little bit about what they do and answer some questions sent in by you, our listeners. A few weeks ago, we put out a call on our at Proximity Media Instagram and asked folks to send in their questions about working in the film and television industry. So we'll talk about that today, specifically about working at a production company. Thank you, by the way, to everyone who sent in questions through voicemails and by sending us audio files. We couldn't answer everything, but I listened to them all. And we tried to pick questions that covered most of what you all were asking about. Quick update before we start. In Proximity is going to take a short break for about two weeks. More about this at the end of our episode, so be sure to listen to the end. And now... Here is our Inside Proximity episode with my colleagues who've worked in both of our film and TV departments, D'Angelo Dilo Lewis and Desi Gallegos. Hi, everyone. I'm Paula Mardo, head of audio at Proximity Media, and I'm super excited to be hosting our first Inside Proximity episode with two of my fabulous, amazing colleagues here. And I'll let them introduce themselves. Let's start with Desi. Hi, everybody. My name is Desi Gallegos. I am a director of development in television here at Proximity. I've been with the company since it was founded five years ago. I started off as an assistant to Sev Ohanian, who is one of the founders of the company, and was promoted to creative executive working in both film and in television a few years ago. And then most recently, following the release of Creed 3, was promoted to director of development and I'm working right now exclusively in television. Perfect. And then to my other side, I have Dilo. Introduce yourself, please. All right. My name is D'Angelo Dilo Lewis. I'm a creative exec in television at Proximity Media. I also started off with the company about five years ago. Started off as an assistant to Ryan Coogler and Zinzi Coogler. Got promoted to creative exec, what, last year? I started off actually with music, TV, and film, but the focus became narrowed and now basically I'm all TV. Awesome. So Proximity Media, for those who don't know, is a multimedia production company and we basically tell stories in various mediums, right? There's the film side, television, we have a great music division that works on our soundtracks and other music projects, a nonfiction team that works in our documentary film and television projects, and then my audio division that produces this podcast you're listening to right now and other audio projects. Thank you. Listeners, you can't see what I see right now, but Dilo did a little little applause on his mic. But yeah, I think that's what's so cool about this company is that, you know, we're all creatives in different fields and, and yet we still find time to come together and, you know, find ways to work together when we can or at least exchange ideas. And these Inside Proximity episodes are sort of a way to do that with our listeners too. And for today's episode, we'll be focusing on film and television, which is why I wanted to speak with both of you. And just to kick things off, you know, you guys have been here since basically the beginning of this company, right? The very, very early days with our founders, 
Ryan Coogler, Zinzi Coogler, and Sevohanian. Can you talk about just, first of all, what your roles were at the time, and how did you even get started in that role? Absolutely. I started working with Sevohanian, one of the founders of Proximity, when I was still in film school. I was a senior in college doing my undergrad at USC, and he was a part-time professor there. And I knew pretty much right away, I, I think I knew from the way that he interviewed me for the TA job that, oh, this is somebody that's going to take over the world. Because I was just interviewing to be a teaching assistant. And he was like, you know, pull up Google spreadsheets on your computer, share a document with me. I want to see you problem solved live and then giving me things to do live in the moment. You know, pitch me a movie. You have two minutes. Go. And I, I knew pretty much right away. I was like, oh, this person expects a lot of the people around him. And he also leads with decency. So I started working with him and knew pretty early on, like, I want to find a way to make myself indispensable to this person. I want to find a way to get him to rely on me and really prove that I can work at the level that he expects of his colleagues and of the people that report to him. And so, you know, after I graduated from film school, Sev brought me on board to a movie called Run. And then, you know, I worked under Sev and his producing partner, Natalie Kasavi. And of course, if you haven't listened to their podcast episode, Run and listen to that right now. And then all the while that we were working on Run, I was hearing these whispers of Sev teaming up with Ryan and Zinzi to found Proximity. And for me, it was just like an absolute dream. I, of course, like so many, I'm sure of the listeners have been a fan of Ryan's work since he started making films and the opportunity to play a small part of building this company that could bring more movies like Fruitvale and Creed and Black Panther into the world was just the most exciting thing in the world. And then also to be able to continue to work with Sev, who was my boss at the time. Of course, I was his assistant, but was also an extraordinary mentor to me. Those opening days at Proximity were wild because, you know, Ryan Zinzi and Sev are brilliant creatives, brilliant leaders, and also had never founded a company before. And so it was a lot of figuring it out as we went along. We dove in right away on our first two film projects, Space Jam and New Legacy and Judas and the Black Messiah. So it was giving notes on those projects. It was getting settled in the Warner Brothers lot, starting to work on Space Jam. It was really all collaborating to lay the foundation for, I think, what we all knew from the beginning could be something pretty tremendous and impactful in our industry. Dilo, your episode with Pete Nix, our head of nonfiction, is really great. So I know you've shared your background on there already and how you knew Ryan and met him and all that. But yeah, can you just talk about like what it was like at to first, jump into this, right? Like as your first, yeah. your first job at Proximity or how that came about? Yeah, so how it happened was we had the idea of me coming on as Ryan's assistant because his younger brother, Keenan Kubler, had kind of moved on and started writing. And he told me, all right, be ready. And this was like maybe took maybe four months. But one day he was like, hey, we got to go get a laptop. Hey, I need you to go to the Warner Brothers lot. I'm like, all right. I remember parking, walked into the lot and I'm walking and I'm just looking because there's so much going on. It's like a movie in itself. You got teams moving furniture, sets moving, just all type of stuff going on. I'm walking around my backpack like it's the first day of high school. And as I get to the building that we're supposed to be, I meet Desi, introduce himself. I'm like, what's up? Not knowing this to be one of the best friendships I ever have in my life. He introduced me to Sev, Sev Ohani, and Sev pulls me straight in. And I don't know what happened. He clicked it on and it just turned into a job interview. I, thought, I was like, I thought I already had the job. And he just asked me questions about what I wanted to do, what I was thinking about. Did I have any experience? He knew 
what experience I had. He was just asking me. I don't know if he was just giving me a third degree just, you know, as a formality or something. But he was like, all right, I'll show you where your desk is at. And all of a sudden, Seb slams a Space Jam script on the desk. He's like, I heard you been doing coverage. He's you to take notes on that or whatever. Instantly start sweating. But it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, sink or swim. Right. So this was the script for Space Jam, A New Legacy, Legacy yes. long before the yeah, project was yeah, going to get yeah, made. It was, was just literally a paper script and they gave it to you. And can you just, you know, for listeners who may not know, what is coverage and why is it so important? Well, coverage is when you take a script or a, a piece of writing or whatever, a book, anything, you read it, you give your synopsis on it, tell, you know, basically you'll tell everybody what it's about in a short form. And then you go into detail about the theme, the tone, the characters, the storyline. You know, you just critique it in ways that would give somebody that's reading this coverage an idea of what's going on in this in this script without them having to read the entire book or the entire script. And then you give basically what you think about it. And is it possibly a proximity project or whatever company you're working for? I think I first seen Desi's coverage because I think I asked you for like an example of coverage. Yep. And when I when I seen his, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> but can you elaborate like why? Like no, what did you see in his writing? Because my experience with coverage is I didn't have a formal training of how to do coverage. It was like, read this, tell you what I think about it. Coverage is, you know, it's levels to everything. I'll say about coverage. I was working for Seb for a bit as his teaching assistant. And one of the ways I knew very early on that I wanted to let this person know, like I want to go the extra mile. So I think one of the first things uh, that I was able to do for Sev was I was always like, if you ever have an, too many scripts on your plate or anything like that, like I would be more than happy to just like read them and do coverage on them. Just like, you know, feel free to throw me anything at any point. And at one point, Sev finally, like I think weeks into the semester was like, no pressure to read these. I got these submissions. Here's like two scripts, like no worries. You can take a few weeks on them. And I was like, the day that I got this, I was so excited because I was like, this is my moment. And so I like canceled my day and instantly <laughs> turned around coverage on those two scripts within hours and had them in Sev's inbox because I wanted to say to him right away, if you send me something to do, um, I'll do it, do it well and do it quickly. When did you first have to do coverage? Was it before school? It was in school. I uh, had a few internships in college that asked me to do coverage. And I found like you know, it's nobody's favorite thing in the world, but I think what I appreciated about it was how to, in the summary of whatever we'd read, to challenge myself to make it as readable as possible. So rather than being clinical and corporate or trying to use too flowery language, to just have a two to three page summary that you could read and enjoy the story as much as you might have had you actually read the document. And then for the, the comment section where I actually got to give my opinion, that, of course, was my favorite part because I could go crazy a little bit and just like say candidly what I felt about it. And I think that, you know, I would often challenge myself to just not hold back and keep my fingers crossed that I didn't go too far in tearing apart something. Yeah, it's interesting because coverage is not really something in the podcast industry, but because I've seen the ways you guys have used it and how it's so helpful for you and yeah. also as a team, you know, to be able to have people review something and then have a discussion. That's super helpful. And we've actually started to implement that in our department. It helps if you can type a million words per minute like Desi. I still actually, I, I still finger type. Like I never learned how to type the proper way. No, like, yeah. like no, 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 no. He types with like all his fingers. It's, like it's not formal. It's and like, then I naturally adopted it from him. Cause oh, I just type, yeah, I type I thought, like that now. Really? Yes. That's Wait, crazy. I thought you were taking the, the no, typing classes. Man, I threw that out the window and just yeah. started typing how Wait, I felt. Let's go. That makes me so happy. <laughs>
there's so many different ways to get into this industry, so many different ways to work at a production company. Sometimes it's, you know, as formal as apply for the job, but sometimes it's it's who you know or like, you know, someone you met in film school that handed you a script. There are a lot of listeners who don't currently work in the industry or aspire to what are different ways that people can get into um, a production company job, either in a, as an assistant or, or something else? So I think that there's a number of different ways to break into this industry. If you are, you know, deciding where you're going to go to college, film school, USC specifically, I owe so much and I owe, you know, you can draw a direct line between USC film school and the career that I ultimately ended up having. And there's a lot of USC within proximity, Ryan, Sam. We do have a lot of, even on the audio side, Annenberg. Exactly, um, yes. But it doesn't have to be USC, obviously. But it definitely does not have to be USC. Yeah. Or um, film school, but or, it is it is one way. 100%. It, it doesn't have to be film school. That's one path, I think, that can at least expose you to um, thinking critically about films and TV shows and expose you to different internships and such. So I think that's one way of taking your first steps into the industry. I'm so proud of the internship program that we have here at Proximity. I was a big advocate for founding that a few years ago, and Ryan Sinsen and Sev have been so supportive in mounting that program. We do like weekly mentorship sessions and such. I had some extraordinary internships while in college that I'm so, so grateful for. David Permit, who's still a mentor to me to this day, Material Pictures, learned a lot from those. And I think that if you want to go the production company route, internships are a great way to land at a place and prove yourself or at minimum just like learn what you want to do or what you don't want to do as much. I think it's a two-part thing when you're talking about getting into this industry because like you said, it's a million ways to get into it. Who you know, some people get lucky. Some people put all their energy into getting into this space. And when they finally get it, it's so you know rewarding. I think it's the step right after once you get in is what's super important about, about what you do to stay here. Meaning like people get in these spaces and drop, I won't say drop the ball. Sometimes it's like, you know, something out of, out of their control. But, but the people that last kind of like do the work. They come to play ball. They press play every day, whether they're knowledgeable of that space or not, or or they went to school for it or not. It's the people that take advantage of that opportunity after they get in the door. It's a thing about, you know, once I'm here, what am I going to do now? Because that was a question I had for myself. Like, okay, my job is to learn everything I can possibly learn. I always felt like I was behind. So I was like, oh, I got to learn this. I got to learn that. I got to figure this out so fast. And I think that drive would, would help anybody. Right. Let's fast forward a little bit to today. So currently, you guys have ascended from the assistant role, Dilo as a creative executive and Desi as a director of development. Can you just walk us through like what a typical day is like for you two in, in each of your roles? So let's just start off. I came from a film production background, so to speak. So TV was a newer thing to me. And what I did, I started talking to TV execs. And one person told me one thing. He was like, hey, every day you need to re read the trades. So I've been on deadline every morning. Like I'll check my emails and then I'll go through deadline, the articles, skim through, get familiar with the names, get familiar with the agency, with the moves are being made. After that, usually <laughs> the day is full of general meetings, not necessarily production meetings, but meeting creative meetings for potential projects, reading a bunch of pilots, and you're trying to find writers to put with them. That's like the simplest way to put it as of right now. So as a creative executive, you're sort of evaluating material that comes in, but also when we have projects coming up or that we're sort of interested in finding the right 
talent, I guess, to, yeah, to match yeah, up with that. Is yeah, that right? yeah, yeah. So, but I thought I was done reading, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the reading never stops. The reading stops. never stops. It never stops. But it's just exercising that muscle to, you know, be able to filter through projects that we don't want and projects that we potentially might do and things that we, you know, we have to do. That's a skill in itself, you know, because the thing is, it's like, it's a lot of things that I read that I actually like, but is this a proximity project? And that's when you rely on your colleagues be like, hey, I like this. I think this. And uh, even me and Desi disagreed on things. But at the end of the day, is it a proximity project? You know what I'm saying? I think that a lot of this job is reading scripts, taking meetings to find the people that you want to fight for. And then when the time comes to fight for them, really going to bat. And, and that is honestly one of the best parts of the job of being an executive or a producer, finding talent that you're like, yes, I believe in your voice and I'm going to use all of the connections and the creative power that we have here at this extraordinary production company to try and realize your vision and something that can can speak to many, many people. I, I live a very similar day to, to Dilo. You know, it's so interesting because the job of executives or, you know, here at Proximity specifically, I think can can also straddle with being basically junior producers. By that, I, I mean, you know, Dilo and I were, were on set every single day for, for Creed 3. Um, he was an associate producer on that project. I was a co-producer on it. Those weren't our guaranteed titles when we were actually on set every single day. We were just doing the job of working to support our amazing director, Michael B. Jordan, and the other producers on the project to make the best movie that we possibly could. And as a uh, you know executive or a producer on that project, that can entail just about anything. Our life as executives, producers on the set of Creed looks so crazy different than our life does right now, where we're not in production on any, anything, we're in development on a number of projects right now. Now, you know, the days of course are still packed, but I feel like we are living the life more of like day-to-day -day executive living, which is like you wake up, you read a few scripts, you take a few general meetings, you take a few project meetings, um, and you're constantly meeting with your colleagues and all uh, asking the questions of how can we take the projects that we have on our slate currently and move them forward? Are any of the projects that we're reviewing right now the projects that we could spend years of our life trying to make? And I think those are probably the two core questions that are driving our days every single day, um, which is a lot of fun. I feel, I mean, we're, we're super privileged to be able to do what we do and with people that we genuinely love. Like that is, that's a gift. So we have listeners who've sent us voice messages. We, we put a call out and ask listeners, um, you know, to send us any questions they have about working in the film and television industry. And I'd like to play some of them for you guys and, and have you answer some of these questions. Amazing. Sure. That's what's up. Yeah, I'm so excited. Let's do it. All right. So our first question is from Ashley. Hello, my name is Ashley. I'm from the IE. Um, I'm a young director with a plethora of completed feature-length scripts, pitch decks, the whole shebang. So my question is, what advice can you give in regards to standing out amongst the crowd and getting projects sold or greenlit for production? Thank you so much for your time. 
I mean, you got to get eyes on those scripts. I, I know a lot of people that hold on to a lot of material they, they work on and like they hold on. And I guess they'll overwrite because they're always trying to fix it. But you kind of like writing in this bubble, you in your own world. I feel like for starters, get as many eyes as you can on those scripts and let people give you notes and give you those, give you that feedback. So when you do have this, you know, complete packaged product that you want to share with maybe an agent or, or, or a production company, uh, you feel confident about it and you, you didn't sit in a garage and just sit with your thoughts and your ideas. You know, I feel like you got to let other people get their eyes on it. 100%. I, I echo that completely. And earnestly cultivating their feedback and making sure that you have relationships with the people. And if you can build those relationships and have those people that you can send things back and forth from and know that you'll be honest with them and they'll be honest with you, those relationships are invaluable. The best advice that I can give, just given that, you know, meeting an agent or a manager, agents and managers are are the people that are generally sending material to us. So like as a production company, where we're primarily making movies with studios and on our TV side, we have a five-year exclusive TV deal with, with Disney. So how material comes to us, they're coming through agents and managers. So as an aspiring creator, like a step in your career, if you want to write, if you want to direct, will be getting representation and because they'll be the ones that would send your material to something like Proximity. I can't speak directly to like how to get an agent or a manager. Like it is such a crapshoot and can involve just like getting a short enough festival and them seeing your work and then them wanting to represent you. I would not recommend just like sending out a bunch of cold emails. I, I don't think that that's the best way to approach it. I think what you can and should do in the meantime is just be working to make the best possible material that you can studying other pitch decks for reference and and trying to make the stuff that is succinct and just like absolutely wows people being conscious of what's being looked for in the marketplace right now if you're making a deck for a tv show knowing that one of the things i think that's extra looked for in the tv industry right now is shows that the clear engine a clear narrative drive you know where you get to the end of the episode and Sometimes we'll say at proximity, we want to make TV shows where you're afraid to go on Twitter because you might have an episode spoiled. Is your show that? Does it have a, a propulsive driving engine that can carry you throughout? If you're you know, writing a feature film, what is the thing that the character urgently wants and the conflict that is coming up against them to that stops them from just being able to easily get it? Does it have a clear genre? Um, is it personal to you? Answering those questions, though they may seem basic, is what will elevate your stuff above the pack. Um, by a mile. So our next question is from Chris. Hello, my name is Chris. I've been an educator for over 25 years in the Bay Area. Started at Dewey High School in Oakland and wrapped it up as the principal of San Francisco's Juvenile Hall. It's been a wild ride for sure. My question is, how do I take my skill set and experiences from education and transfer into the world of film and TV with a long-term goal of telling the stories of the amazing, resilient students and youth that I've met along the way? Any starting points would be welcome, and I'm willing to do the work. I think I kind of addressed that in a previous podcast with Pete Nix about um, where your creativity comes from. Um, I'm pretty sure he has a million stories about 
just all type of aspects of that element of life or where he's been and people he's came in contact with. I think you start there. You use that as a source, like like whether it's a, a short script or a pilot or you, you get those stories down on paper and then you start building those stories from there. Everybody has different backgrounds, come from different places or whatever, but it's a way that you tell your story and you tell your story and you tell your story that I'll be able to relate to it. Um, you'll put me in the passenger seat and take me on a ride in your neighborhood or wherever. I think he has to get those stories down on paper, um, no matter how you know, rough they might seem or sound, just write them down, get them down on paper. That's when you start Googling in the YouTube of how to write a script or how to write a pilot or even just an outline. So you can figure out what's your premise. What are you trying to tell with this story? What genre is it? You know, you start at the bottom and you just get them out on paper and you just go step by step. So first thing, first step is really just getting it out write, on paper. You got to get it out. You got to yeah. get it out. I agree with that 100%. Um, you know, my, my dad uh, was a teacher and then an elementary school principal in the Bay Area. And so education and all that, of course, was just tremendously valued in my household. And thank you, of course, for Chris, for all of the, the work that you've done over these years with these kids. Um, first and foremost, yes, it is just writing. It is It is writing even on the days where it feels excruciating. I love that the, the way that you approach your question was drawing on your personal experience, your experience as an educator for, I think you may have said 25 years. Um, the thing that is said to writers so much that it becomes a cliche, but it doesn't become any less true is write what you know, write from a, a place that is personal to you. When I mentioned earlier about like how we're making stories that I think are in many ways are vehicles for emotion. I think that one of the ways that you can tap into that is just by tapping into what makes you feel emotional. What makes you laugh when you think back about your time teaching these kids? What makes you feel that like, you know, wrenching feeling that um, any of us can can tap into when we um, when we think about the the more trying parts of our lives? Um, and then whether it's something that is a true story or something that is fictionalized and fit more cleanly into a genre. Um, I think that you can start to uh, find something that you can then show to people that you can then submit to competitions and all the stuff that we said in, in the last question. I think my advice in terms of breaking into the industry, um, if you do want to write on that subject matter, just given that there has been so much content around education and, and such, and, and there are, of course, like, you know, some movies that have slipped into cliches is to really know the genre that you want to write within. Like, is it, is it a thriller? Is it a, um, is it a heist project? Is it, you know, like what is the way that you want to tell this story that you think is not only interesting and personal to you, but also has real narrative drive and could potentially connect with an audience that I think, uh, is, is essential. Yeah. I think all of that is so helpful. And, and, you know, you guys are the experts here, but I will say, you know, because this is also in, in my side of the industry and in, in audio, um, just always be learning. Read books about yeah. writing. Yeah, if you, you know, haven't written a script yet, there's tons of screenwriting books. Uh, listen to podcasts. We have yeah. obviously some great conversations about writing and specifically one with Savohanian and Anish Chaganti, who are writing partners um, on, on films like Searching and Missing and Run. And, um, you know, there's a great um, John August, a great screenwriter, and Craig Mazin have a very popular, legendary podcast about screenwriting called Script Notes. I mean, there's just so much information out there now um, that, you know, you don't have to, you know, even if you are, you have a day job as a teacher or whatever it is, 
there are ways you can start practicing your craft, writing your ideas down, and then start turning them into, you know, whatever it is, a movie or TV show. Um, did I get that right? You guys are the pros. 100%. Right? You stole my prox rack. I was going <laughs> to tell you about it. Well, I was going to recommend a couple screenwriting <laughs> books and script notes, but it's all good. We'll get to it's that. Good. No, we'll I love it. that. Well, I love that. We're, I mean, yeah, so on the same yes, page. So yes, 100% on the same page. Cool. And okay, so we have time for one more question. So this one is from Latora. My name is Latora Godwin. I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in Oakland and Berkeley. And I have a question about short films. What do you think is a great approach to making a really good, complete short film? And for those of us who are looking to go into the film festival circuit, what should we be looking to get out of going to film festivals um, for those of us who are creating short films? This this isn't a, a mandate. Maybe I'm going to slip a little bit into personal preference with this answer. I am more gripped by the shorts that have tension and that have real conflict and a real character journey in them. I think there are some shorts that are a little bit more slice of life that can be beautiful. In my estimation, I want to see something where a character has like a clear mini arc where there is dramatic tension. I feel like those can stand out a bit more, at least for me, cultivating the feedback of those around you at every stage in the process, giving them your short script, getting their feedback on that cultivating a community of people around you that are willing to support you in the making of your shorts. Uh, and then when you are about ready to start submitting to the festival circuit, the festivals cost a lot of money. And I think there is a sometimes unfair barrier to entry there. Although of course, like festivals need to pay for the amazing work that they do. Lean on the people around you for what the short actually is. And if it is not the one to send to a million festivals and to spend those hundreds of dollars, know that that's okay, that it is not a mark on you as a filmmaker and how you'll be forever, that you should feel so proud of the fact that you set out to make something and then you made it and then keep going. You know, uh, <laughs> no, 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 you, you were right about the letting everybody read it. Let everybody give their notes. You got the option to take the notes or not. I've done a little writing myself and I'm very, I won't say I'm good because I don't want to seem like I'm too my horn, but I'm okay with somebody just tearing my script or my whatever my writing is apart because I go back and sit with that. I'm not saying that I'll think about what type of person they are, but I'll try to look their POV, their point of view, like where are they looking at this from? And now, okay, if I plan on letting a wide audience see this, okay, people are going to look at this thing that I'm creating it from different perspectives. And I want everyone to be able to relate to what I'm doing, or unless I'm not making it for everyone, this is not for you, but I have to be okay with this not being for them and taking their notes for what, you know, for what it's worth. Creativity is an iterative process. It is made from trial and error. Right. There's, there's that saying, kill your darlings, where sometimes yeah. like, you know, maybe you're so in love with like a scene or a part of the story or whatever it what? is. Tell me about you it. Just have, you got to <laughs> let it go. You got to let it go sometimes. I mean, it could come back. But you pick your battles. You, yes. know, you know what to fight for because it's a collective effort. The best idea wins, right? Yeah, and it's all in service of the story. Yeah, so. 100%. Well, 
Thank you, Desi and Dilo, for joining me on Inside Proximity. Before we wrap up our conversation, I did want to have our usual Proxrex segment. We've, we've shared a lot of recommendations here and there. I may have stolen something from Desi, but let's do it anyway. I think it, it, this is a fun segment. I love hearing you guys' recommendations. Um, let's start with Dilo on this one. I feel like I always do quotes, <laughs> quotes and shit. Which is um, all good. Um, I love quotes. You don't have to be great when you start, but you got to start to be great. If that makes sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense. Let, let that. that sink in. You can't have any like apprehension about what you're trying to do. You got to go for it. Like, you know, hey, I'm about to suck for like a month at this, but I'm about to do it every day until, because the, the, the satisfaction comes from when, like, it's like when you're a kid and you play this video game and you cannot beat this level ever. Like you've been doing it every day after school trying to beat this level. But one day, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. Oh, and boom, you beat it and you running around the house screaming. It just, you still, I still get that feeling when I accomplish something. So that would be my proxy. I love that so much. I, we, you know, you, no matter how far you get in your career, you can still afford to learn that lesson. I think that is a lifelong thing for sure. Um, I love that. My proxy rec, I think we've already talked in this podcast about being like a lifelong student about wanting to learn as much as you can. And so I wanted to recommend like the first screenwriting book that I ever read, which is Story by Robert McKee. You know, Sev turned me on to Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. Read Aristotle's Poetics. Read everything you can about screenwriting. And the reason why I bring this up in proximity, even though I'm sure that any aspiring screenwriter out there has been given that advice over and over again, is because I also think it is essential for aspiring producers and executives to be able to learn the vocabulary of writers and to be able to speak in that language, I think is so crucial. And Dilo and I are still fairly early on in our career. We're absolutely learning as, as executives right now. And, and just off what Dilo said, I don't think we are as great right now as we're going to be down the line. Although we, we, we've, we've been privileged to have some extraordinary opportunities so far. I think if there's one thing that has helped me considerably in my like early career as an executive is being really familiar with act one, act two, act three, these, you know, the terminology that writers might use in cracking story. It's liberating when you have that language because you can get even more in the trenches with somebody. And it's so exciting and energizing. There's nothing like it in this job when the writer knows there's a problem, you know there is a problem, and you're talking with them about it. And they're like, oh, I think it's this. And then the writer's like, I can't wait to write that. And then you go off and you're like, wow, this is so freaking cool. If we just crack this, like that's going to be in the movie and people all around the world are going to see that. That's great. I want to go read read a bunch of books right now. We already mentioned a great podcast, Script Notes for Screenwriting, but I also just want to recommend Team Deacons. It's a mm. wonderful podcast all about literally any job in filmmaking, but also I think television, just the the business of making movies and TV. It's hosted by acclaimed cinematographer Roger Deakins and his collaborator James Deakins and they've had everyone from like post-supervisor to a writer director and even agents so you know I think that would be a really nice compliment to a lot of the things we, we've been talking about in this episode so and thank you D'Lo and Desi for being on Inside Proximity I recommend In Proximity I think this is the coolest <laughs> podcast out there thank you guys thank you for the applause thanks guys so fun thank you thank you thank you That was our first ever Inside Proximity episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hope that was fun and helpful, and we hope to do more of this in the future. 
Thank you again to everyone who sent in questions. Now, quick housekeeping update. We're taking a short break on the show, about two weeks. We're a small team, so thanks for your understanding as we work on a few things, including new episodes about upcoming proximity films. We've got Anthem premiering at Tribeca Film Festival next month and Stephen Curry, Underrated. Both documentary films are directed by our head of nonfiction, Pete Nix, and they're coming to you this summer. So we'll be back in about two weeks with more In Proximity. Please stay tuned. And follow the show on your podcast app if you don't already. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those really, really help other people find the show. And most importantly, share the show with your friends and loved ones. Go on, send them a link to this episode or one of your favorites. Learn more and read transcripts of this episode and others at proximitymedia.com. Don't forget to follow at Proximity Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. In Proximity is a production of Proximity Media. The show is produced by me, Paula Mardo. Executive producers are Ryan Kugler, Zinzi Kugler, Sevo Hanyan, and me. Our theme song and additional music is composed by Ludwig Gorenson. Ken Nana is our sound designer and mix engineer. Paulina Cherizova is our production assistant. Audio editing for this episode is by Judy Bell Kamangyan. Special thanks to the whole Proximity Media team and to you for listening to In Proximity. See you in about two weeks. Dilo works out every single day. He just intimidates <laughs> all of us. But you inspired me. You inspired me. I've, I've been. I love that. Let's for do a it. moment, Desi was working out with me at Warner Brothers. He was working out with me every day. We would we would work out after work. I think. I think we would work out after work. Mm-hmm. And then a whole global then pandemic. Oh, global okay. pandemic. Okay. I slowed down a little bit. Dilo, I feel like sped up. Dilo yeah. was working out more.